My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here. It is a joy to gather with the people of God on this blessed Easter day. It's a joy also to sit underneath the word of Christ along with you as well. If you would, please have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 6, verse 4. That's the primary text for today's message. I want you to take a moment and think about your favorite stories that you've ever heard. We all have favorite stories. Every culture has favorite stories. Oftentimes, these are stories of heroes, stories where some main character, through risk, with great love and passion, overcomes an obstacle, a difficulty or an enemy. These stories can be incredibly engaging, and and we are right to love them. It's good to love these stories, but the thing is, at best, these stories only leave us inspired. Perhaps they motivate us. Perhaps they give us a few new ideas about ourselves or the world. But fundamentally, as the credits roll up, as we turn the last page of our favorite novel, we are unchanged. And our world is fundamentally left unchanged. This pain point was the same pain that C.S. Lewis was finding. This was at a time when C.S. Lewis did not know the gospel. He had no hope. But he did realize that he was incredibly drawn with unbelievable force to stories, to these types of stories, and he didn't know exactly why. And one day he's in a conversation with one of his buddies, J.R. Tolkien, and Tolkien's trying to get Lewis to see things from another perspective, and what C.S. Lewis says to him is, all these myths, even though they move me, they're just lies breathed through silver. Lies breathed through silver are these myths, these stories. And J.R. Tolkien says, no, rather these are echoes of truth. They are not lies completely. But in all these stories, Lewis, you are hearing an echo of truth. These myths are rather the distorted Husks that contain this echo of God and his truth. Tolkien is referencing the one true story that we celebrate today. The story of Easter. The story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. This is the Easter story that we celebrate today. And we're trying to sift through all the lies that we might tell ourselves and hear out into the world, which are echoes of this truth, and we want to see this truth this morning. The breathtaking reality is, as the Bible presents it to us, that Christ's story and his death and resurrection becomes our story as we believe in it. His story becomes our story The story of his death and resurrection becomes our story of our death and our resurrection. Paul shows us 
this truth encapsulated in the text for today, Romans 6, 4. I want you to hear it. We were buried, therefore, with Him, that is, with Christ, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There's a union here, a union that the people of God have with Christ in His death and resurrection. And this morning, we are simply looking at these two glorious Easter truths. Number one, Christ has died. And secondly, Christ has risen. These are our two Easter truths this morning that we are beholding. And here's the hope. It's not just that we will learn more facts today. But it's that as we believe these truths, these truths become our story as well. Let's pray for the Lord's help as we dive in. Father, would you grant us this wonderful Easter morning the eyes of faith to behold your son's death and resurrection. God, would you empower us by your spirit through your word to see the taste, how good you are, how glorious this truth is, to see it as the greatest truth of all. God, would this story of Christ become our story this morning? God, would you cause your spirit to invade our hearts and minds today that likely are filled with sorrow, with sin, with shame, with brokenness, perhaps despair, struggle and disappointment. God, would you break through into the dark world of our hearts and minds and bring us the light of Almighty God and your Son, Jesus Christ. All for his glory. In your name we pray. Amen. So the first point, Christ has died. To understand the significance of that statement, we need to understand the significance of death itself. What is death and where does death come from? Death has not always been a part of the human equation. This takes us all the way back to the very beginning when God created the world and it was good and he created man and woman and placed them in that garden and it was good. And it was life and peace as long as Adam and Eve accepted and trusted and lived in obedience under the gracious rule of Almighty God. They got to experience the pleasure of God and life forever. But the deal was, if they disobeyed God, then death would come. And that's exactly what they did. They, they rejected the provision and the care of God. They chose their own way, and the consequence was death. Death is in the world today because of disobedience. We all experience this now, and we're all guilty 
in Adam, from our own willful, hostile thoughts and mind and actions towards God, we are guilty. Our entire human race is guilty of this crime against God. We have disobeyed Him. We, we have not been holy. And we too are deserving of death. And there is absolutely nothing that we can do to get us ourselves out of this predicament. There's no amount of labor. There's no amount of muscle. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to appease God's wrath. He is a just and holy God, and as a just and holy God, He must punish sin. So do we then have any hope this morning? Yes, we do. We have a glorious, a glorious, breathtaking hope this morning. Paul would articulate it well in Romans 3. He says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. I want you to hear the train of thought here. He starts with, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is, they deserve the just wrath of God. But they are justified. They are justified, meaning they are seen in God's eyes just as if they had never sinned. They are made legally Innocent before God. Justified. How does this come? It comes through grace. The heart behind all this is grace. Grace meaning the unmerited favor of God comes apart from anything you can possibly do. Grace comes. Mercy comes. How does it come? It comes through a person. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Grace has come to us in a person. Justification is coming to us in a person. The person of Jesus. But how? What is, what is the mechanism? And Paul goes on as a propitiation. Christ was put forward as a propitiation. A big fancy word that means anger absorbing. Wrath absorbing. Wrath diverting. A substitutionary sacrifice. It's like dipping a dry sponge into a bowl of water and it completely absorbs all that water and there's not a drop left. The sacrifice of Christ was full. It completely, He completely absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. On our behalf. And it was not pretty. What Jesus did was not pretty. If you looked on it, you would want to throw up. He was flogged. The flesh of his back was ripped off. He was led up a hill with a cross and then crucified. Nails driven through his hands and feet. And he's gasping for air. And he's got to pull his hands up in order to breathe as blood's filling his lungs, his bones are all put out of joint and he's hardly recognizable. 
It wasn't pretty at all. But his physical pain was not the greatest of his pains. It was the spiritual pain. That Christ was mocked. The Son of God, the Eternal One, the Divine One, was mocked and scorned and sneered at as a criminal. And His disciples, those closest to Him, abandoned Him. That's painful, but that's not the worst of it. The worst is when He would cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22. The eternal union that the Son has with the Father in that moment Something happens that causes Jesus untold agony. Regardless of how we believe the Trinity operates in that moment, what we do know is that smiling face of God is not there for the Son to receive. He is not hearing what He heard at His baptism. This is my beloved Son. He's not hearing what He heard at the transfiguration. My beloved Son. No. All he's hearing is his own groaning. There's no voice coming from heaven. He's alone as the wrath of God pours out upon him in the entirety of his being. It was not pretty. And right before he gives up his last breath and his spirit, he says, it is finished. What is finished? Christ? What is finished? The work that He came to do. The sacrifice that He came to, to become. The payment that He came to pay for sinners, for sin. That is finished. The mission that He came on to glorify His Father in heaven. Finished. Perfect obedience to the end. Finished. Could have called down legions of angels, but he didn't. He had too much love for his father and too much love for us. A record of debt stood against us, as Colossians 2 would say, and it was nailed to the cross. In that moment, everything that you and I have done, nailed to that cross, and God in heaven says, paid for in full. You who believe are free. John Stott summarizes it this way. He says, The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. While the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man, man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. What love. What love for us. It's great love that somebody would give his life for his friends. But what about a love that would give himself for his enemies, those that were in the crowds mocking, 
those that want that were calling him a blasphemer. What love? Do you know that love this morning? Jesus went to that cross not just because of you, but for you. As how determined he was to see you infinitely satisfied in God. He loves you today. Do you know it? Do you believe it? Christ has died. And if we believe we have died with Christ, our punishment has already been paid. Christ has died. Christ has also risen. That's what we see next. Back to verse 4 in Romans 6. We were buried therefore with him, with Christ, by baptism into death, his death, in order that, here's the purpose, the aim of this dying, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The grave could not keep Jesus down. Three days later, his body begins pulsating with blood. His shredded body begins putting itself back together. Jesus' lungs fill with air. He opens his eyes. He stands up. He is alive. This is in fact, the truth that we as Christians hold on to is absolutely central and in some way uh, the, the, the truth that everything else hangs on. It's been said that if the, if the resurrection was not true, then, then Christianity is just a house of cards. It all comes crashing down. We believe, as crazy as it sounds, we believe that 2,000 years ago, this man got out of a grave. Paul knows this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if the resurrection doesn't happen, then, then we of all people are most to be pitied. And we are still in our sins. Jesus coming out of the grave is, is the vindication that, hey, world, you got it wrong. He wasn't a criminal. He was the righteous son of God. Innocent, perfect, blameless. He's vindicated in that resurrection. And we can look at the evidence. Evidence actually points us to in this direction that it did happen. Even though today there are voices everywhere, maybe even in our own hearts, that are saying, no way. We're dismissing it. We're justifying it another way. We're rationalizing the, the, the resurrection some other way. Other than a literal bodily res resurrection. Call it myth. Call it wishful thinking. Call it a crutch. Whatever you want to call it. But the Bible says it happened bodily, physically. It's critically important for us. You could look at the evidence of the unusual details, specifically that, that, uh, that if this was supposed to be an authoritative account, the last thing you would do in the first century is have Jesus appear to women. And that's what Jesus does. It values women in that society and it validates the authenticity of the account. We also see the eyewitnesses that the gospel writers are saying, hey, go talk to these people. 
In other words, don't just take my word for it, but go talk to those. Over 500 people have seen the risen Christ. And of course, there is the empty tomb that nobody was ever able to to, to bring about the body of Jesus. It doesn't exist. The Romans could have had a hunt to try to find that body. They probably did, but they could not find it. And then there's the transformation of the disciples. We see these scared, afraid, pitiful, Christ-denying disciples overnight are transformed into these blazing soldiers for Christ that are fearless, that would give their lives for this truth. How do you explain that? Or how do you explain that the church over the last 2,000 years has exploded on this globe? No other movement can be, has this sort of broad uh, movement across socioeconomic, political, and every other ethnic or other line that could, ha- that could be there. This movement has spread broad and wide to a diverse people across this globe. We could also look at the countless prophecies fulfilled or the consistency of all the early documents. All of that is evidence that can help us. But, but guys, at the end of the day, it's not about that evidence. It's about your faith. You have to believe. You have to simply believe. We are called as people to believe in what we cannot see. You have to take that step Say, I can't see it, I can't make sense of it, but I believe. I like how one, this one scholar, actually a scientist, he says this, the question of the resurrection is more like an opportunity to fall in love than it is a scientific inquiry. If Jesus really rose from the dead, it reorders everything just like falling in love. It changes our view of the world. This is an invitation that God has for you today, an an invitation to believe in his wonderful, amazing love as he invites you into his nature, as he invites you into his presence forever. It is an invitation into the love of God to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We will be with him forever in a bodily resurrection. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 which was read earlier, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to say the pass, or come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. That was our hopeless condition. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. His death, His resurrection. And Paul's argument in Romans, he's actually trying to argue that, hey, Roman Christians, you, don't, you need to stop acting like that old Adam because you are not him anymore. You have died. And now your life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus. The forever life and invitation and the love of God that he has given us and offered to us that will be for all eternity. That love and that life enters our hearts now. Anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You actually become a new person when you believe in this death and resurrection. Confess your sins and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. You become a new person. Born again is what the Bible says. 
The old is gone. Behold, all things are made new. And that life begins now. We still live with the old man. The flesh still is around. But it's a crucified flesh. It's been severed. We've died. And now we are alive with Christ as he comes out of the grave. His story has become our story. And this life that we enjoy now is a foretaste. It is a foretaste of the kingdom to come. It's a foretaste of the garden that we lost back in Eden. A garden with the people of God under the gracious, kind rule of God and the presence of God where there is no sin, there is no suffering, there is no disease, there's no coronavirus, there's no death, and there's no Satan. That is the kingdom of God that He has brought us, that He has gifted us, that we will be with and enjoy forever and ever and ever and ever. What a joy that will be. This is one of the reasons why I hope, or it has for me, I hope for you, what a joy it is that today we are gathering, many of us, in the flesh. Something remarkable is happening when the church gathers in the flesh. And coronavirus has made this truth so much sweeter to my heart. And I hope to yours too. And those watching at home, I hope that longing just grows to be back with the people of God. Because you know what we're doing in this moment? When we gather and we see each other in the flesh, there is a proclamation that is happening to one another. We are proclaiming Christ is risen. We are proclaiming the old life is gone. The new life has come. That's what this is when the church gathers. It's a little microcosm of the glory of the gathered church, the people of God in the flesh, in the bodily resurrection for all eternity around the throne of God. Or says Jesus stands as a lamb, a lamb like one who was slain. He stands in all the nations and tribes and tongues around this throne crying, holy, holy, holy. And there's angels crying. And there's this loud song magnifying Christ and his blood. And he's ransomed people from every tribe and language. That's what we're doing. We are enjoying our future even now. C.S. Lewis did not believe the gospel at one point in his life and when Tolkien was talking with him. But not just a few days later, C.S. Lewis would believe. And C.S. Lewis would then later, not too long after, write his famous series, Narnia, and then in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I want to read a quote from there. As, as Lewis is trying to paint the beauty and the true story of Easter through this story, and as we catch up in this book, Aslan, the lion, who represents Jesus, has just died. And the children in the story are mourning, and they're grieving, and they're wondering 
Is all our hope now gone? Aslan is dead. And this is what Lewis writes. At that moment, they heard from behind them a loud noise, a great cracking, deafening noise as if a giant had broken a giant's plate. The stone table was broken into two pieces by a great crack that ran down it from end to end, and there was no Aslan. Who's done it? cried Susan. And what does it mean? Is it more magic? Yes, said a great voice from behind their backs. It is more magic. They looked around. And there, shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen him before, shaking his mane, for it had apparently grown again, stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan! cried both the children, staring up at him, almost as much frightened as they were glad. But what does it all mean? asked Susan. When they were somewhat calmer, it means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still, which, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. Christ has died. Christ has risen. This is the true story of Christ. And if you believe today, this is the true story about you. Believe now. Believe in the death and resurrection of our Almighty God and the person, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have brought an end to death, that you have brought an end to Satan and all the evil that's on this globe. We thank you and we praise you, God, that you have done it by grace because of your great love and mercy towards us. You and your son have brought us back into your presence that we may enjoy you forever and ever and ever. God, we pray for the faith now to respond, to respond in the conviction that this story is indeed true and therefore true about us as well, that Christ has died, we have died, Christ has risen, we have risen, and we are now alive in God forever. And Lord, would you grace us with the strength of your spirit, to now walk this world out as your witnesses. Witnesses like the early disciples who would give their lives that this true story would be made known in all the world. God, would we do it in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in the nations. All for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.